Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. This is the Kincaid and Breckenridge Highlights podcast for Tuesday, April the 5th. Uh, on the program today, we had uh, Rick McIver, interim leader of the PC party, uh, touting a new initiative, a new website. Go to abpcmla.ca slash engage to take part in their engagement with uh, Alberta electors. abpcmla.ca slash engage. Also talked about that uh, relationship between police and the media. The police chief who joined us, he wants to crack down on internal leaks. And we even heard from one member of the Calgary Police Association who wrote an editorial uh, referring to buttholes in the media, undermining the police even, he suggested. So quite a conversation on that front. You can listen to the Kincaid and Breckenridge Show weekdays 9.30 to 12.30 on News Talk 770. Well, turning from matters next door in Saskatchewan to matters here at home, it was... Um well, an interesting day yesterday for Alberta's uh, progressive conservatives. Uh, they had some build up to an announcement they were making yesterday, uh, an engage initiative, they're calling it, uh, seeking input from Albertans on how to address the many challenges we, we face as a province that includes something called the four billion dollar challenge. Roger. I believe the prize is is four billion dollars. If you and what do I have to do? <laughs> is this where is this where Paul Newman eats sixty eggs or hundred eggs in one hour? How much uh, was it? No, that was yeah, that was um, it's similar, similar. No, they they want Albertans to to come up with ideas, but one of them is is finding ways to cut four billion dollars, which is a significant amount of money. Of course, uh, was a backdrop to everything going on yesterday. We had the uh, the government release this uh, new investigation, this new report into the uh, so-called Tobacco Gate scandal, the decision regarding the law firm that was selected to handle the the lawsuit against Big Tobacco, and a controversial appointment within the PC party. Activist, conservative activist Craig Chandler, acclaimed as a PC director in Calgary. Okay, so just on that point, first of all, fifty eggs. Second of all, uh, acclaimed. It's it's one thing that Craig Chandler is the one who is on the board now. It's another thing altogether that he, that he was acclaimed, that nobody else sought this position, right. right? Well, let's uh, talk about all of it with uh, Rick McIver, who is interim leader of the PC party. Uh, Rick, thanks for joining us here. Welcome to the hey. program. Good morning, gentlemen. It's good to be here. All right. Well, let's let's start with the uh, Engage initiative. What, what What's this all about? Well, this is, uh, you know what, since we... Uh, got uh, defeated uh, last May 5th in the election. We've been uh, doing some soul searching. We've been uh, talking to uh, people from across Alberta to find out what their priorities are. And uh, we want to contribute to uh, the government doing a better job in the future. So we have uh, we put forward some ideas and we put forward a website, which I'll now shamelessly plug, abpcmla.ca. Uh, slash engage, where people can go and, and uh, give us ideas on uh, how the government can uh, deliver services uh, with, without cutting frontline services and save money while they do it. And we want to engage all Albertans, and I think importantly, uh, the 220,000 people that receive a paycheck funded by the Alberta taxpayers, I think are experts that need to be consulted, and, and we want to hear from everybody on that. Okay, so you got this $4 billion challenge which is a challenge to the government to shave, what, $4 billion off the, off the uh, expenses of this place? 
Yeah, over two years. Why, yeah. don't, why don't you go first? What do you have in mind? Well, was, uh, we have some ideas in the uh, document, but I think uh, an obvious one that uh, I'll, I'll present to you right now is that uh, we got a uh, Alberta Health Services uh, report in 2013-14 that says there was about 2.14 million visits to emergency hospital emergency rooms uh, across Alberta that year. Uh, the same uh, report says that uh, 90% of them weren't considered emergencies. So, well, you can't do the math directly in rough numbers. You could say up to a maximum of, say, $2.8 billion worth of emergency room services were in emergencies. And we're saying, what if? What if those people got care in a more appropriate setting? How much less would it cost? It wouldn't be a cut in services. It wouldn't necessarily be a cut in, in, in staff. It, it probably should, would be the same because they would still need the care. How much money could you save while still giving Albertans the full service that they uh, that they need and deserve? And uh, why don't we look at that? And so it's it's uh, I think it's a fair question to ask, and, and we're asking it. Right. I mean, look, I, I I think a lot of Albertans would be on on board with the idea of, of streamlining government and, and finding ways to save. But if it's that easy to save four billion dollars, one has to wonder why it wasn't done when you guys were in power. Maybe the last election would have gone a lot differently had you done so. Well, we're not saying it's easy. We're saying you got to do some work. Uh, actually, we're, we've never said it's easy. We're saying here's an idea, but it comes with some work. It comes with talking to the patients that use emergency rooms. It comes with talking to the men and women that work in emergency rooms. It comes with talking to the patients and the men and women that would serve people in places other than emergency rooms. There's a lot of work involved in this, but we think it's worth well worth doing. Mm-hmm. And, and, and uh, we're suggesting to the government they do it. We're, we're here to help if we're able. And, and uh, what I would say to you is that uh, when we were, our, our party was in government, every single year we tried to cut expenditures. Uh, every year, uh, most years, we uh, added more expenditures than we cut. Uh, some of those, you know, and you could argue that all day long, but the record would show the record is what it is. Uh, some due to inflation, some due to government decisions. But uh, in, in an organization with, with a budget in the neighborhood of $50 billion, controlling expenditures is not a one-time effort. It's an every-year effort. And we're making suggestions on how the government should uh, make that effort in the next two years. Yeah, but I mean, if I'm a, you know, a, a politics watcher, one of these really actively engaged people, presumably that you're going after, doesn't this exercise sort of serve to point out that things got out of hand when the PCs were in power and uh, we still don't have any ideas for what they can do? So you tell the NDP government? No, actually, I, I, with all due respect, uh, I would say exactly the opposite. This says that we're still here to serve Albertans. We were here to serve Albertans when we were in government, and we're here to serve Albertans in opposition. And it's about making this year and every year's budget in the future better and more effective and, uh, and delivering services that Albertans need. And uh, we're, still, we're still on the payroll, we're still on the job, and we're still listening to Albertans. Of course, the, the PCs in, in power, not, not that long ago, obviously, uh, we, we went through this whole exercise, didn't we? I know there, there was a big show made of this, this extensive budget consultation with Albertans, seeking Albertans' ideas and input uh, for the budget. Uh, aren't we kind of treading over the same ground here? Yes, and we need to tread over the same ground again and again and again every year for the next 100 years because with a budget that big, you can never clap your hands together and say, mission accomplished, job done. The job is never done, and and that's our whole point here. The job was never done when we were in government. The job's never done now, and we're still here to contribute. Yeah, that's a disconnect for me, though, because I really don't want you consulting me every four, every year. 
I don't well, know. You, you, you're not obligated, my friend. I, yeah, but that's, <laughs> we that's, wel- we no, welcome. But, we welcome your input. No, that's but, a sh- but, but that's a shirking. That, you're not obligated, Rick. That's ultimately a shirking of responsibility, though. I mean, every four years uh, we have an election, and I, I think we do elections wrong in this province. Maybe that's a topic for another day altogether. But I'll tell you something: every four years we put a, a government in power, and we trust them to be able to do things without having their hands held that don't waste money or put our province in in uh, you know sticky uh, predicaments. Um, yeah. But, I mean, I think that's largely why the PCs were tossed out of power on May 5th uh, uh, last year. And I think that you alluded to that at the very start. But Rob points out that, look, the Conservatives consulted with people in that whole budget exercise. Here we are doing it again. Is, is this a strategy to somehow get uh, uh, prove that, hey, you're, you guys are capable of forming the next government? Or is this basically, as long as we're in opposition, we'll, we'll, we'll go through these public consultation tactics? Well, it's, it's, uh, it's all of the above. Actually, right. we are de- we are demonstrating to Albertans that uh, we have a, a uh, engaged, informed caucus that is listening to Albertans, uh, bringing not only bringing our own ideas to government to improve the way they operate and holding them to account, but also in touch with and listening to Albertans to get the ideas that we haven't got ourselves yet, and and that's something we're proud of. We think it's a good news story, and and we're going to go boldly into it and invite all your listeners to participate. Is there a disconnect uh, given that and and the fact that your party, uh, again, voted against uh, voter recall? Uh, You know what? Uh, No, I don't think there is. Uh, Wasn't that giving Albertans a say? Well, Albertans on that have a say on who they elect every four years. This is respecting the say they have in a general election as opposed to disrespecting it, which is what this legislation attempted to do yesterday. Okay, uh, Rick, we just have to take a pause. We want to continue this conversation after a break, if that's cool with you. Of course. Rick McIver is our guest interim leader of the uh, PC party. We're going to continue this discussion and talk about some of the other news, actually, that came down yesterday as they were promoting this uh, this new Engage platform uh, online. We'll be right back. You're listening to Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. All right. Welcome back. Kincaid and Breckenridge Show. I'm Roger. That's Rob. Our guest is Rick McIver, uh, who is the leader, interim leader of the PC party. Um, so, Rick, this it kind of got overshadowed yesterday uh, from by some other news. One, this uh, what we're calling Tobacco Gate uh, came back into the fold, and the other is the announcement of the acclamation of Craig Chandler uh, to to the board. Um, it sort of seems as though, on one hand, you're trying to define this PC party as you know. Uh, a new party that you can trust, have faith in, not the same old party that you kicked out a year ago. Uh, but then this stuff starts to happen. This stuff starts to creep in. So what is it? Is this a new PC brand that people can trust, or is this the same old party? Oh, well, this is the, the PC party that uh, people trusted for years, and when we get back to our roots, we're hope, hoping that people will be able to uh, trust us again, and we're working hard every day to earn that trust. What's your view on on Craig Chandler? He's someone very controversial. Has certainly uh, had some controversial views regarding LGBTQ and individuals and and the uh, state of gay rights in Alberta. Uh, is is that someone that you're comfortable uh, playing a key role in your party? Well, I'm not sure what, what uh, you mean by a key role. Is uh, uh, one board member out of about fifty, so when the one voice uh, doesn't carry the day uh, of anybody's in, in board meetings. And and uh, and I guess we have a uh, standards uh, of uh, accountability to, that uh, board members need to live up to, and everyone that goes on the board would be be required to. Uh, you know what? When you have an open party, you have an open party. Uh, our process is that uh, when the uh, election time comes, people get to put their names on a ballot, 
Well, he did in the past. And, and, no, no, and, I, no and, let, me, let me finish if you don't mind, please. I won't be long. Uh, is that if you, uh, you pay 10 bucks, you can become a party member. After you become a party member, you're allowed to put your name on a ballot. Uh, and if nobody runs against you, you get acclaimed. It could have been any Albertan, any of 4.3 million Albertans, including one of you two guys, could have uh, done the same thing. And, and, uh, and no one would know you were elected until after it was done. That's how the that's how the process works. No, but this so, is someone who was denied the opportunity to be a PC candidate. Yeah, no, and and uh, again, the uh, as I explained, I explained to you the process. That's how how this came about. Uh, by the way, I think there was several other members on the board that were acclaimed to the board in the same same way. They paid ten bucks to become a membership. They put their name on. Nobody ran against them, and they were acclaimed. But every one of those people are required to uh, live up to the code of conduct. And to uh, and to support the the party's uh, uh, values uh, and, and and standards, and and everyone will be expected to do that. Okay, well, just just clarify then this point: is it a different standard for for candidates as opposed to those who want to sit on the board? It's just I, I'm trying to understand how someone can be rejected as a candidate and welcomed as a board member. That is an interesting dichotomy, and I don't know what the uh, the uh, thinking was around the decision made back in 2008 or whatever it was. But uh, but I'm telling you, there wasn't a uh, the the decision here was to have an open election where anybody that pays ten bucks can become a member, and anybody who's a member can run for the board. That's what an open party is. But but the uh, everybody that succeeds in getting on the board is required to live up to the party's uh, code of conduct. Uh, and our values, and, and I have to tell you, we're a, we're a party that has some pretty good values. We believe that all Albertans are equal. We believe in the free market. We believe in looking after those that uh, need looking after. We look after and believe in being fiscally conservative and spending uh, Albertans' money wisely. And uh, these are these are the things that we stand for, and and that uh, that we uh, hold our people accountable to. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I appreciate your response. I think that that means that there's no um, overly burdensome qualifications to put your name on a ballot to become a board member, that it should be open to uh, every Albertan, provided they're not disqualified. It does seem odd, though, Rick, and I think that you're going to have to do a better job explaining that to people, why someone could be disqualified to sit uh, and serve the public in a house of government, but that's okay in term, uh, that, that person's okay to have on the board of the party. No, and, and you know what? It, it's a uh, we don't have any uh, mechanism to uh, bridge from one of those things to the other. Uh, again, and, and if that's uh, if you say that's a flaw in how we do things, then then uh, I, I accept that uh, your argument is one that we can talk about. But the the reality is that I'm telling your listeners is that if you got ten bucks, you could become a member, and if you're a member, you can run. Rick, do you have any reaction to, to the report yesterday from Frank Iacobucci, who found that the, there was a, a memo that was changed uh, to, to bring the international tobacco recovery lawyers uh, into the mix regarding this, this $10 billion lawsuit against the tobacco companies, a law firm with uh, some, some deep Tory connections? What's your reaction to the report? Well, you, you know what? When you got a Supreme Court, just, former Supreme Court justice named Frank uh, Iacobucci, and I hope I pronounced his name correctly, my apologies if I did not, who is concerned about having enough information to do a report properly so another report has to be done, I think you have to listen to that. Uh, for me, I think Albertans need to know what the facts are around this case. And uh, since uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Frank, sorry, I, I just don't want to say butcher his last name. Sorry, Mr. Uh, Frank. Um, 
is uh, if he says we need more clear information for Albertans, then I agree with that. I want Albertans to have a transparent report that they can believe in on what did or did not happen, and uh, I support his recommendation. Okay. A lot of uh, um, people wondering, too, uh, Rick, what the timeline is on on leadership for the party, or uh, is that a conversation that's being had yet? That's May 7th. Uh, we have an annual, that's not the date of the leadership, that's the date of the decision on the leadership. Okay. Uh, uh, I thought you trying to uh, sneak one in on us there. <laughs> our, our, our annual general meeting is May 7th, and one of the agenda items is to determine the date and the uh, form of a, of a leadership contest. And that will be decided on May 7th, and thereafter we'll be able to answer those questions for you. Okay. Right. Well, in the meantime, if people do want to uh, share their thoughts, it's abpcmla.ca slash engage. Rick McIver, thanks for joining us here this morning. Appreciate it. Bless your heart for repeating the website. Thanks so much. For <laughs> I'm just a wonderful guy, Rick. Thanks again. <laughs> Rick McIver, uh, interim leader of the PC party. Uh, yeah, well, it was good because I, I, he, <laughs> he, uh, I, I think I maybe had trouble remembering exactly how it is. So ABPCMLA, Don C.A. Don C.A. But so, anyway, I'm just putting out. If people want to share their ideas, by all means. All right. Um, okay. Let, let, let's get Alan's phone call, and he's patiently waited here for a while. Hi, Alan. Thanks for the call. Hey, good morning, gentlemen. Yes. Um, I don't know if it was on uh, television yesterday on uh, News Network, or I heard it somewhere. There's There was um, a young lady called uh, Priya Singh, I think. Yeah, it's Prem Singh. Prem Singh, okay. Yeah, she was on okay. Danielle Smith's show not too long ago, last yeah, week. Was fact, it? Yeah, was it? Yeah, okay. And uh, wasn't it uh, Have a Plan or something like that? Uh, um, I guess... <laughs> no, that, Prem Singh's involved in a different group that's trying to unite the right. They're, they're holding a meeting at Red Deer on April 30th. Uh, I think Rick Orman, there, there's some other... Hal Danchilla, there's yeah, some, there's some yeah. connected people involved in that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's the point. Uh, that's the reason I phoned in. It's just to say that it looks to me, I'm a neophyte uh, when it comes to politics, but it looks to me like uh, the conservative right in Alberta is fractured uh, in that oh, there's, clearly, yeah. there's many different um, lobby groups or, or whatever, all trying to say, well, let's get the conservatives together. Yeah, yep. you know, no, you're right, Alan. You got a point, but I want to point, I want to make this pretty clear though, because I think that there's people that, that are, are missing this point. It's not a fracture just in the parties; it's a fracture in the right wing in this province, because there are certain aspects of some conservatives that others detest, and there are certain aspects of those deter- conservatives that the other ones detest. So that's mm-hmm. <laughs> there's some bridging to be done there. Uh, listen, we got to take a break here. We'll come back, uh, wrap up this hour, set up our next hour for you. We've got the police chief, by the way, coming up after 11 o'clock. We'll tell you more in just a sec. Stay with us. Hey, welcome back. Uh, I'm Roger. That's Rob. Uh, some interesting revelations uh, have come out uh, recently uh, from the police force, from within the police force. Now, uh, one of them is a leak, a confidential, a confidential source, rather, within the force leaked to the CBC that the uh, cop who shot Anthony Heffernan in a motel room uh, could face charges, that this individual was uh, also the subject of an ACERT investigation for a prior shooting. Another fatal shooting. Right. Yeah. Uh, so that's one thing. And then the second thing that, that, that uh, fuels this story is an editorial 
uh, uh, yeah, I guess it's just an editorial, not an op-ed piece necessarily, but an editorial from Paul Wozni, who is a director with the Calgary Police Association and the editor of their internal magazine, 104 Magazine, chastising uh, those members of Calgary Police Service who would be confidential sources for the media. Uh, saying that there's already enough buttholes in the media and the public and on the defense side of the bar, we don't need them within our own ranks as well. The, the police need to close ranks uh, and, and maybe, I, well, we'll hear from Paul Wozni because it, it certainly seems adversarial to me, this this approach, though the media is the adversary of the police. Now, uh, the new police chief himself is is concerned about leaks and has apparently made it his quest to to root out these these anonymous leaks. Uh, joining us on the line is uh, Calgary Police Chief Roger Chaffin. Uh, Chief, thanks for joining us here. Welcome to the program. You bet. Okay, well, explain this to us. What, what your concern is about uh, information being leaked to the media and what you intend to do about it? Well, I think first and foremost, uh, you know, to try to, again, reiterate the position of the service as regards to how we communicate to the public and how we work with the media uh, has never changed. In fact, I, I think you will find we still are probably the um, best case example of how to be open and frank and uh, direct with the media on what happens in policing, what happens in this community. The issue I was referring to in the document that you're talking about had to do more with uh, releases of operational uh, information to media groups. Uh, these are sensitive uh, operational matters that involve people's names, the addresses, that put people at risk, and have no business being in the public realm uh, while we're working through them. Those kind of things are not do not fall within the realm of what we release into the media. Uh, they're they're dangerous. They're um, uh, that's irresponsible. And you know, every officer when they uh, come into policing swears an oath of allegiance, and in that oath of allegiance is our duty to protect information. Uh, a particular duty to make sure we don't reveal things into the public that would put people at risk or harm or et cetera. So there's quite a difference there in terms of our openness and our frankness to relate to the community into the media and to be uh, upfront about what's going on in our industry uh, and then the malicious release of data that would put people at risk. Chief, do we find that, that that's an issue, though, that you confront on a, a regular or irregular basis, that, that you have to deal with leaks of that sort? I uh, you know it's be, the, the, what the, the genesis of the the APM that I put out of the all personal memo put out was because it was seemed to be happening more and more uh, that there's an obvious you know in, in one particular case of course we're being uh, notified by a media group that they have in fact are in the possession of one of these documents and um, you know leaving me to say how do I stop this this is something that needs to be stopped I can't you know I don't. I didn't come at the point from the position of criticizing the media, just criticizing our membership for having subverted that process. We have a, such a mature, uh, lively process of media relations here in the service that anybody that needed really something to the media has an open way to do that. We have a, we're very frank and, and accessible to the media, but we certainly don't encourage people to do things like that. Well, we will look at the story that, that came from a leak, that, that the officer who was uh, involved in the fatal shooting of Anthony Heffernan, as it turned out, was, was still being investigated for a previous fatal shooting. There, there seems to be a legitimate public interest in that information, and had it not been for the leak, this information would not be in the public realm. Yeah, you know, it's the things like that are, again, on the business side of policing, we are governed by... Our, our, our rules and our regulations, the Privacy Acts, our Police Act, the policies of the service, all the sort of business rules behind the policing and, and our collective agreements with our working uh, association and whatnot and our unions. We want to make sure that it, when we do that, that A, it's factual, 
that we have the information right, that it's uh, appropriate to release in one release. So again, you'll find, uh, if you remember when I came in to say, I do prefer transparency and I do prefer that openness. And I've worked with associates and say, when it's appropriate, I will do that. And I have done that at times where they find it controversial. But still, it's done when you put a lot of thought to when to release and why to release. So when it comes out in a way inside the organization that would would seem to be malicious. It's not uh, that's not doesn't fall within the realm of uh, of professionalism. Uh, does that in this case does it seem to be malicious or seem to serve the public interest? Well, malicious, irresponsible. Um, you know, we have a code of conduct our members fall to to make sure that they stay within their professional realm. And these are things that again, I don't know that it's a member. It, it could be a member, it could be an employee of the service, or someone associated to our service could do this. Right. I just want to make sure that it stops. If I can, when I when what's within my ability to stop that, I will. When did you become aware that that officer was under uh, investigation by ACERT for a prior fatal shooting? Oh, I well, would have known, you know, almost instantly after we, we figured out who the, who the involved officers would have been, I would have known fairly soon. So. And then what was your reaction to knowing that a member was under a certain investigation for a fatal shooting but was continuing to serve on the force? Well, as soon as, the, as, soon as we have one of these events, it goes into the um, uh, ACERT realm. Right when they take over the investigation, and we do work very closely with ACERT to make sure we divide the responsibilities of who releases what information. And those are always um, sometimes they're in play, but we always sort of work with them to make sure we don't reveal things that might offend their investigation. That would tend to um, you know they want to have a fair and objective opportunity to look at all the facts and data. So we would look at it. But those are the sort of things we would look at to say what's within what should we be releasing what what can i release what can somebody else release and so we work through those things but it is appreciatively we have a very robust process to get right. to that so. uh, but the concern though becomes why is the officer on on why is the officer still on the street why is he still armed well in in cases where um, in cases where we have any officer who is involved in a in a in a shooting event we would look at uh, all the details we wouldn't necessarily it's not necessarily an allegation of misconduct when they're doing right. that but we do have to have a, a robust investigation to make sure these things go on so there is a process both in terms of the psychological health of the member and then the the details at play that help us determine uh when the person's ready to return to work and when they're not well that yeah that and sorry sorry rob but that, that kind of gets to the question then does the public not deserve to know that that is the process that an officer could be involved in a fatal shooting, which which we all agree would be uh, uh, most likely exemplary service and protection of the public, but also a terribly traumatic experience for that officer. Why didn't we know then that uh, the protocol is to put this person back out into the job? Well, those are again, those are part of what we'll look at, right? As we go through our um, both our regulatory requirements and then our, the position of the service as we want to be held to account by the community, where do we fall to this? Do we fall to a system where we uh, just name everybody and have them sort of deal with the public, um, you know, the public criticism, or do we do it in a way that says it's linked to an objective charge or an objective bit of data? Because at the, at the beginning of this. You have to make sure that the events occurred the way they did. Uh, we like you want to make sure that this is fact-based, not speculative or rumor-based. And there's lots to uncover. We do want to make sure in the most serious instances like this that we have the facts first. And that's the difference when somebody else, another employee, or somebody else does it. Uh, what if they get it wrong? Uh, what if they What if what they said was not fact-based? And in case you know, and, and many of these, they actually do have it wrong, and then we're left to sort of 
deal with the issues here. As an employer, you're left to deal with the issues of your employees, and as a leader of the community, you're left to deal with the issues within the community to make sure you get this right. And a lot of reasons why you have a, a, a media presence is to make sure it is right, that you've got your facts together so you don't create fear, or harm, or anxiety in the community that was unnecessary, or you didn't reveal something that you should have. Okay. Well, given all of these issues, I mean, it, 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 it might seem odd then to, to those of us outside the police force that, that of all those issues the leak is the biggest concern? Of all the issues to me, the leak of sensitive operational documents is the concern. Uh, to me, that was the one that is highly unacceptable and, and, and you know, in some circumstance, it could be border on a criminal breach of trust to done some of the things because some of the documents that are released could in fact put people in harm's way. It could hurt uh, people. Like these are, some of these documents can be loaded guns. Uh, they're that much sensitive information inside there and that is not... That does not fall within the realm of a media release. That is a release of, of documents that we have a duty to protect, uh, information and data that we have a duty to protect. Okay, so that got released, and that's not appropriate. All right. Well, well, the editorial that we're going to be talking about uh, that it appears in the in the magazine Ten Four. It's a defense of your memo, but it uses some pretty strong language uh, about members of the media. What, what do you make uh, of the tone of that article? Do you, do you support that? Well, if I could take out one paragraph, I would. <laughs> um, the, generally speaking, the association is referring to that same need to be more thoughtful and, 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 and not to go after each other, using the media to be malicious about each other. That's just not a professional, responsible way to go about business. The rest of you know, the article, the, the paragraph in question that's got everybody's attention, again, is something that uh, I think the association would probably want to talk about. Of course, we've We've made it very clear to anybody that would ask a question, those are not our views, those are not the views of the service. And we have a, we have a working association like a union, and they have uh, some independence about how they communicate to their memberships. And they, you know, they, can, they tend to be a bit more free with their language, but that is not the position of the service. Chief, I appreciate your, your um, desire to, to you know, root out malicious behavior uh, within your ranks, um, but, but it's not always malice that's the point here. I, I think that in many situations... Uh, you might have members of your force who are uncomfortable or just don't believe that the mechanisms for reporting are in place to protect them, and then they turn to the media. Well, you know, we would all get that. I think what you're, what you're describing in that sort of situation, there's these, your moral and ethical responsibilities, and the, the, everybody has their own sense of ethics and values, and you know, as, as does the organization of values and, and, and the sense of ethics. So when someone makes that kind of decision, an informed decision based on those values, it's hard to be overly critical of that. But when that is not a, that's, that, there's a long way between that issue and when it's just simply unprofessional or it's misconduct or it actually becomes almost, you know, potentially criminal in nature. Those are different things. This okay. is not an epidemic in the service. There is a person or person, or, you know, maybe a few that are doing it. I'm, I tend to root them out. Okay. Well, and we had another the other story recently. There was the big story, obviously, in the concern about a, a rifle that had been stolen from from an officer's vehicle, and and the hunt to recover that rifle, and the investigation that followed. But there were elements of that story as well that that were leaked to the media, like the fact there was one newspaper in town that had obtained information that this officer was on administrative duty at, at the time of the incident, for example. So again, this, that seemed pertinent to a, a very high profile story that again seemed to be information that was not being disclosed by by your police service? Well, I don't, I, I don't have that at my fingertips here, but again, things like that are bound by the investigation. The reason for a person being on administrative duties, for instance, may be, could be a, 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 spec, a whole world of things, but if it goes out, I said, if it's something that uh, needs to go out, and oftentimes the media will come to us and say, we've heard about this, what do you think, and we can answer the question factually. Mm -hmm. 
But when it goes out to them in an unfactual way or an inappropriate way, then it doesn't really serve the interest of, I don't believe that actually serves the interest of the community or the media to get unfactual information that's not factual. But does it have to be a, a one-way street that we'll get information when the police provide it to us? And, and that's how that that will go. Oh, no. I mean, I think the media does a great job in the city of finding information. But we, we are, I, I think you'll find our service has been very uh, steadfast in making sure that we are proactive with media, making sure that we present information that they wouldn't otherwise have found out. That is our duty to talk to the community about and, and to work with the media to present things. I, mean, I think we'll always sort of err on the side of as I've said to our media group, it's not less information, it's more. We need to find more ways to talk to the community, be relevant, and to work. And I think Calgary, over time, we're one of the few cities that you'll find that you know, presents as much information to the community as we do. I mean, how many organizations have presented police radios to yeah. media groups and stuff and allowed that that real professional relationship to make sure that we are getting information to the community that's appropriate and, and done so in a way that doesn't offend uh, our, you know, our, our, the other duties that we have. Yeah, absolutely correct, Chief, but with respect, the public doesn't rate our police service against other police services. You're the only one that we generally yeah, care about. Yeah. And, and the question that we have is, who will you protect first, the public or your own? We have a significant duty to the public, you know, and our transparencies and accountability are, the, are one of the principal issues of how we determine our legitimacy. And uh, we, I have a, a, that duty never goes away, it's, but it's not exclusive to the idea that we also have a duty to our, our rules and our regulations and our, you know, the things that govern us and the privacy acts and the legislations that we work with. And we, you know, it's not, it has to be done with thought and with business acumen. And, and but we always, you know, are always forefront in our mind is our duty to the public. All right. On that note, Chief, we look forward to many more conversations with you. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time. All right. Take care. Chief yeah, Roger Chaffin, Chief of the Calgary Police Service. And take a break. And when we come back, uh, we are going to hear from Paul Wozni, who's uh, director with the Calgary Police Association, editor at uh, 10-4 Magazine. And you heard the chief say he didn't necessarily like all the wording in this editorial, but uh, seemed to support in general the message. So we'll find out a bit more about how Paul Wozni feels about the media and why he used the, the language he did. It's Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. All right. Well, as mentioned, the chief put out this memo, a fairly strongly worded memo, making it clear that uh, he's not going to tolerate uh, anonymous leaks to the media. There was, uh, I guess, what we would call an editorial, uh, an article in the 10-4 magazine for the Calgary Police Association defending that and uh, putting it in these terms. To be blunt, we have enough buttholes in the media, the community, and on the defense side of the bar taking shots at us. We don't need our own members taking shots at each other in our own magazine. That was written by uh, our next guest, Paul Wozni. He's a director with the Calgary Police Association and editor of uh, 10-4 Magazine. Mr. Wozni, thanks for joining us. Welcome to the program. Hi, how are you guys doing? Uh, we're doing well. Um, I guess in the course of writing an article, you have the opportunity to, to reflect on what you're writing, go back and edit it if, if need be. So you, you were quite comfortable writing what you wrote, I presume. Well, yeah, I, um, you know, I, I think uh, hindsight's always twenty twenty. If I could choose my words a little differently, I probably would, but... Uh, the mess, the same message would be the same, and I think, um, you know, we're we're kind of cherry picking one line out of out of an entire editorial piece, and uh, the message that I was trying to get across wasn't certainly just caught in that one sentence. It was caught in the the entire context of the article. But it, it seems to be the way you would describe the media. Well, in that instance, uh, again, I'm, uh, I'm my audience in this particular instance is a. Um, is for 2,100 police officers that are part of the Calgary Police Association. Mm -hmm. 
Um, that's who I was. Um, I wasn't writing it to 1.2 million Calgarians. Um, but again, like to put context into it, because I think that's what's missing here. It's easy to pick out a word like butthole and to uh, kind of fan the flames of what that 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 one sentence and then what that one word in that sentence means. But uh, um, from my from my perspective, I was trying to get the message across to our membership that uh, I had just taken over as editor of the magazine. Lucky me, okay. and. Uh, I was uh, I was trying to get the point across is that I would I'm not going to use this magazine as a venue for members to maybe take some professional pot shots at each other in the magazine because okay. like I said this is our own magazine so that's really the that's really the context of it and in terms of my personal feelings of the media um, I, w- I will certainly say this is that in, at the end of that article I do make the comment that I, I value. I absolutely value the, the relationship that not only the police service has, but also what the police association has with the media in Calgary. It's, uh, um, I, I, have a, I have the benefit of visiting and meeting with uh, police association members from across Canada. And, and I will tell you that um, the Calgary Police Service and Association enjoy um, a very healthy relationship with our media that is that is really not found anywhere else in Canada. Yeah, and that's organizationally speaking, but it, 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 you framed it in a way that makes it look like cop to cop, uh, we should have an adversarial uh, uh, relationship with the media because uh, they have one with us. Well, we, I, I actually, I don't view our relationship with the media as being adversarial. Um, I, I make comments. I made comments in that one sentence to, to refer to. Um, the really there's there are there are there are, have been times when we have not been treated fairly by the media of course um, there are times when some members of our community that we police haven't treated us fairly and there's times when people in our um, uh, defense side of the bar in Calgary haven't treated us fairly that's what I was getting at so sure. if you're a police if you're a police officer and you're reading those comments you understand that because we've you've been a target of those comments. Well, no, but wait. When, when has the media been unfair to the police? Oh well, it. Um, I think there's. A, I don't certainly have a laundry list sitting here in front of me right now, but um, uh, I'll give you an example where we'll have we've had police officers involved in situations that um, um, they're they're they have to um, use force while in the execution of their duties. Um, and the next day they get a, a, a knock on their door from a media person looking for an interview with a camera in their face. Um, I don't think that's treating a police officer fairly in our community. Okay, well, I mean, from the media perspective, that's us scrutinizing law enforcement, which is our job, uh, one of our primary uh, uh, positions in a, in a you know, well-working democracy. But let, let me ask you this question, though. But I would uh, disagree with you. That's not scrutinizing police. If, if, you, if a police officer invo- is involved in a deadly force situation... Uh-huh. And they execute they under so under the criminal code of Canada, policing is the only occupation that is authorized to use force. Yes. Um, so we are in the execution of our duties, and we we execute our duties as we're required to do so. Um, the next day, getting a knock on your door and being um, uh, confronted by the media 24 hours or 48 hours after a major, probably the most major incident that you've had in your life. I don't think that that scrutiny, that's not treating our members fairly. And that's what I, those are the type of situations that I'm referring to. Okay, so you'd rather we wait a little longer before we say, hey, would you tell us what happened? Well, no, I, I would rather that you not 
knock on our members. Okay. Well, that's that's board. the problem then, right? Because our job is to scrutinize law enforcement. And so if, if something happens, then it's the media's job to convey what happened to the public rather than just have the public go wanting for information. Paul, we're running short on time, and I really want to ask you this question. Does the system, does the feedback system within Calgary Police Service work so well that if a police officer had a complaint about something that the force was doing, that they could have it resolved internally? Or do you not see the value of uh, anonymous confidential sources bringing information to the public? Well, I, I, I think that, um, and the chief previously had referred to it, like we, we are bound by an, an oath of um, an oath that we take that includes the secrecy component to it. I do see that the programs that we have in place um, within the city of Calgary, uh, within our police service, so there's a whistleblower program with the city of Calgary. The Calgary Police Association um, has always been an advocate for our members and, 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 and can easily do that, fulfill that role. Um, there's also uh, uh, processes and programs in place within the Calgary Police Service. I'm not going to sit here for a second and tell you that the, pro- that the program is, um, that all the programs are perfect because they're not, but there are a multitude of venues that our members can go to uh, to try to get resolution uh, for, for issues that are, that are bothering them or that they have issue with. All right. We'll leave it there. Paul Wozniak, thank you for joining us here today. I do appreciate this. Thank you. All right. Paul Wozni is a director with the Calgary Police Association, editor of 10-4 Magazine, which he says is, is meant for police officers, uh, which is, he says who he was writing for. But, um, you know, the, these things are obviously in the public realm. There's nothing stopping people from reading that and, and maybe wondering what, what he's trying to get across there. Yeah. Listen, I, a lot of the times confidential sources aren't just trying to have some fun and, and get something out to the media. It's, there's some important information uh, that, that uh, sometimes needs to be told about members of the ranks. And there's people that say, I'm going to take it to the media before I'm going to take it to my Sarge or before I'm going to take it upstairs. And if you work in an organization where you fear the repercussions about ratting out a fellow employee for doing something wrong, surely you can understand that. Well, right. And the notion that by doing so, you're betraying the force or betraying your fellow officers. I I don't know that we can paint all leakers with that same brush and they might have really legitimate reasons for wanting to do so. All right, we got a break for the uh, 11.30 news. When we come back, we're going to talk about what's going on at the Calgary Zoo and uh, what it might cost to make these changes. It's Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770.